We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Main Lane from arsenalvision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot cannot be with us, or Tim for that matter, so Paul will be talking to James about the 3-0 victory against Swansea at the Liberty Stadium. Not a bad result, really. Um, Swansea have, have been a bit of a bogey side for us in recent seasons, so, so to go there to win so convincingly in the end was a, a magnificent yeah, it was a strange game, really. I mean, we've had a few of these games where, you know, the game's been quite tight for a while and we've had to manage manage our way through it and then we scored the goals second half to win the game comfortably. Dare I say it, the kind of performance you see from champions. I mean, how many times over the years have you seen, like, Chelsea or Man, Man United playing against a side and, and you're hoping they lose and you think, oh, it's a tough game for them, they're going to lose this game. And, you know, the uh, the, the home side have a few chances that they squander. You think, oh, come on, come on. And then all of a sudden, they um, find the goals to win the game. It's happening with us now at the moment. Long may that continue. I thought Mesut Ozil was magnificent, as was Hector Bellerin. And a good showing for Joel Campbell. I'm really pleased for him. He's, he's had a lot of doubters uh, in the last few weeks, months even. He hasn't really had a chance, you know, not, been, not played any games in the first team. As we've seen with many players over the years, you know you can't write a player off until they've had games to prove themselves. There've been many players who've come to Arsenal, played games in the first team, and and have been found out not to be good enough. So that's fair enough, you know. But um, you have to have a chance. Don't have a chance, you can't show what you can do. Thirty-one game, but thought, thought he'd done well defensively, kept the ball reasonably well, scored a goal. Can't ask for more than that, really. Well, you can. Hopefully we'll produce that um, over the next few weeks as we've got a few players out injured in his position. Anyway, I'm going to hand you over and um, enjoy the podcast. I'll be back after the Bayern Minute match and uh, yeah, I'll see you then. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision podcast for the post-Swansea game. This is Elliot in my pants and... Oh my God. Oh my God. What did I just say? Oh. oh, I hope I can edit this out later. Just keep moving forward. Just like our beloved Arsenal, the pod has sprung a few injuries, so uh, Elliot has taken the day off to recuperate, 
and uh, our loanee signing Tim Kim Shalstrom Stillman is off with the Arsenal ladies in Rotherham uh, Cup final go the girls not sure what the result is yet so it's me and James yes rather than star signings and big names James and I are going for cohesion this pod welcome James howdy Paul Right, so uh, the Swansea game. So um, I, I scratched my head a little bit afterwards. I'm still trying to work out what the heck I thought of it, but let's uh, let's go through it. Obviously, uh, this has been a bit of a bogey team for us in recent times. Uh, I can't remember the stats. I think the last three times we played them, they won two, drew one against us. Last year, they beat us twice, the only team that beat us twice. It feels like every game is tight, but in the last minute, Batafemi Gomez, or whatever his name is, scores a header. Bafatimbi, that's it, Gomez, scores a header to make us all cry in our beer and send us home all sad and stuff, and he does his little leopard celebration. So here we face uh, a Swansea who kind of our nemesis also because they like to pass and have possession too. So um, let's start with our lineup. Uh, a logical place to start. Uh, probably not too many surprises apart from the great who will play on the right wing debate. And I guess my other thought is the bench when you look at it. Quite the bench to look at from our side. <laughs> so uh, give, us your, give us your thoughts on our lineup. Um, yeah, so the only position I was unsure as to who would start was was between Pear and Gabriel at centre-back. Um, Arsene adopted... Um, going with Per, which I guess made sense. Cassioni was able to deal um, with the pace and somewhat strength and the strength of Gomez. Um, and I guess we, you know, we weren't necessarily we were looking to be a little more defensive. We weren't looking to be um, countered to too regularly. Although, as I'm sure we'll come to, I mean, there was obviously that one a glaring opportunity for Gomez where uh, Mertzeker and, and the team as a whole were caught flat-footed. Um, but for the most part, it made sense to, to retain the Mertesholny axis. Um, I assume that's kind of a position that um, Arsenal will decide upon based on the freshness of the two players or um, on a game-by-game basis dependent on the opposition we face. But Joel Campbell, for me, was always going to start right wing. You could... Um, tell from the press conference and um, everything Arsenal was saying going into the game. I don't really think he spent too much dis- time deciding between him and Awobi, um, and the, the rest of the team picked itself, really. Yeah, I think the fact that he only played Awobi for four minutes at the end uh, showed that he really just wanted him to get his kind of feet wet. I don't think he thinks he's ready for prime time. I, I, personally, I... Uh, going back to the Capital One Cup, uh, I was th- I have this analogy for, um, you know when you see a game that everybody thought we were absolutely shit in and you watch it and you say, yeah, we were kind of as shit as everybody said, but where they said everybody was terrible, actually this player was not completely terrible and this guy was almost, you know, passable. And for me that was a Wobie. I thought he was... He was actually reasonably half decent in that game, considering the shower of shit around him. And uh, I came up with this analogy that my toilet bowl analogy. Did you did you see this one? I, I did, <laughs> I did indeed. One of <laughs> one of your better analogies. But I think it's a good. I think it's an important one, which is you're looking into a toilet bowl. Somebody's shat in there. Somebody's peed in there, and you're trying to explain to them that actually in there is some drinkable water as well, but they can't see it for the the poo and the pee. But it was actually reasonably not completely terrible. He was potable, as they say. He was drinkable. Unfortunately, is this one of those things where when you take a second look or even a third look at the toilet bowl, you can actually uh, eye out some of this this fresh drinkable water? You you can separate it out a little bit. Well, it kind of was because I I watched the match through Twitter, if you know what I mean. That was my first pass. And my second pass was, yeah, this is pretty terribly awful, but not quite as completely, utterly terribly awful as they said. Anyway, so what was my point on that? So, yeah, Iwobi getting four minutes sends. Sounds about right, and I hope we'll get some more minutes out of him. We'll come to Joel in a bit. On the centre-back thing, I still think that kind of the given law at the moment is Per is basically captain, um, and Mertesalny is our starting two, not because Gabriel 
doesn't warrant it or isn't good enough or blah, blah, blah. It's just they're all equal, but two of them are slightly more equal at the moment uh, and more established and and blah, blah, blah. So I guess I always expect those two to start when, when fit. But anyway. Yeah, but I, th- I think I'm right in saying that Gabriel has played at least one or two games with Merteca on the bench, right? Um, and I, you know, I don't think League, League I don't games. think ever when it wasn't a case of Merteca coming back from being ill or out or whatever. I don't think there's ever been a case where he's certifiably a hundred percent. In other words, he played the the game before, no men- mention of being ill because he keeps getting the flu or whatever it is, or he has the pox or right, you know. Uh, an unctuous, an unctuous bunion or something, some ill-described illness. So anyway, let's not worry too much about that, I guess, <laughs> for now. Uh, we'll see more over the course of the season. So Joel starts, um, and, well, I'll come to that later, but I was I was kind of kicking myself Elliot isn't on this one because I have a, he- a question I thought might make his head explode, but we'll save it for a bit later on. So, the, the, for, so when you look at the bench, though, I mean, we basically had a couple of fullbacks. Um, I guess Gabrielle was there. I don't actually remember the bench, but certainly two fullbacks because they came on. If you call class, Chambers. was Debushi on the bench anyway? Chambers. Well, it, it was it was Gabrielle, Debushi, yeah. Gibbs. Three um, fullbacks, good. <laughs> Chambers and. And I guess Macy and and Flamini, yeah. And so you Flamini, had five, of course, the Flam. You had yeah. five defensive players. Well, yeah. I mean, actually, you had the centre forward and Flamini on the bench. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you uh, may laugh. Yeah. It will be in three fullbacks, effectively. Yeah. Uh, with a, yeah, with so, a centre back. So almost well, two be- centre backs and two fullbacks, but yeah. yeah. So almost beyond. Uh, Joe Campbell, the real talking point was the bench. Not that it surprised anybody, but when you see it there starkly <laughs> and you realize come 70 minutes, you have, there's no option for a plan B. Plan B is already on the pitch. So anyway, plan B seems well, to work quite well. Well, the only plan B you have is a, is a hold the lead plan B. Yeah. Uh, so, so you better bloody well be winning come 70 minutes. Otherwise, uh, well, jumping otherwise to that, I mean, uh, obviously, there's the stat that as long as we score first, we win. I think it's we've won 27 of 28, and then there's some other stat of 35 out of 36 if the wind's blowing from the left. But basically, last 27 out of 28, I don't know if that's Premier League games, um, we have won every time we go up a goal. Not drawn, not, not lost. We've won, which is amazing, really. Um, but that's good. I like that stat. And it's, it turned out to be our game plan. So let's let's talk at kind of high-level stuff about the game because I really struggle looking back on it. Here's how I saw the game, my really short view, view. In the first half, we kind of – we lack cohesion. And try as I may, I can't really find a good reason why we just – it was almost like one of those where we were, we were half, a, half a yard off all the time and, you know, missing a pass here or there for no great reason, a bit of a lack of cohesion. Um. And they, in front of their home cat crowd and always fancying playing Arsenal, were maybe a half a yard kind of more energetic than, than maybe they've been recently. And that all added up to them being first and best kind of all over the park because I still couldn't find anything that was really – I could really hang my hat on apart from we weren't quite up to the pace. And the narrative is in the second half – that we came out all fired up, but I don't think that's actually true. The, to me, the second half, we came out, they started off again down our end, then there was a a, a throw-in on the left-hand side up in their uh, right-back's corner, which was their fatal mistake because that was the one time they got all our key players into the worn corner, and we worked over, uh, you know, we did a little play up in the corner we needed the dough back and forward a little bit and got a couple of of uh, set pieces and the rest is history so for me it was kind of a and then we got a goal up and then we kind of loosened up we started to play there was i not sure i buy into the narrative that we came out all fired up i think it was a case where we got the first goal and kind of Anyway, that was my kind. That's how I felt about the game. It kind of flowed from getting a goal and then getting a dodgy second goal, and then we looked great. 
So I'm not knocking the team. I just it was kind of an odd team, an odd kind of game for me. What, what was your take on the back and forward, the flow of the overall game, before we get into the juicy little moments? Yeah, it was it was a tough first half. I mean, we weren't quite as up to the first half as as we've been in previous games, and I think some of that was down to how well Swansea were able to press us and um, and how well they played. I don't think we were quite as poor as some would make us out at half-time. Um, yes, we were a little sloppy in certain parts. We weren't uh, sort of close retention of the ball in dangerous areas, and um, that transition phase wasn't quite as on point as we've seen it in, um, in equally tough games or in away games in the past. But I think an easy analogy is to, to make is, is the game against Watford. Um, you know, on the face of it, I think a lot of people sort of come out saying, oh, well, you know, Arsenal could easily have been uh, a goal down at half-time. And, and while I appreciate that, especially given the Gomez chance, which he's really got to put away, we, we, had, we, also, we had our chances as well. I mean, the, that Giroud chance when Sanchez played it to him in the box, that's a golden opportunity. Um, Joel Campbell had, a, had an effort. You know, early on, Monreal had a shot across goal. Um, For me, the Giroud one was a peach, and you could see him. He probably should have taken a a touch on that. I mean, it's rare you see a striker in that much space. Um, Well, indeed, and also the ball's coming coming to him at a nice pace. Yeah, he's in. He's well positioned. He he doesn't have. He's not in a rush at all to hit the ball. He's he's about fourteen yards out. Yeah, pretty nice position. It's it's a very nice opportunity. Um and. Swansea had a couple of sort of crosses that came in and a couple of headers and yeah they they had a couple of sort of half chances as well and they had the one golden opportunity don't take me wrong yeah. but it was still if you look at it just based on chances I think it was more of a 50-50 half than people really give it credit for I think that's um, fair um, and interesting you know our favourite XG stat um, our our XG was way ahead of theirs, and Elliot asked the question, and I was thinking it uh, of Michael Cayley. You know, where was the Gomez chance in their XGs? And it doesn't even show up because he didn't shoot, <laughs> so they get a zero well, for that. But anyway, well, the, 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 therein lies the fallacy of some of these yeah. statistical claims. I, I right? think they're very useful over a course of a season or a part of a season to give you an idea of who's creating and and who's allowing the others to create. But on a game-by-game basis, a little dangerous for those kinds of reasons. I mean, as long as you know what you're looking at, they're, I think they're helpful and useful. But anyway, one of our favorite stats and apparently something Arson kind of buys into to some degree. Anyway, did, didn't mean to distract <laughs> us. So, but, but I do agree with you. I think in terms of overall chances, uh, I mean, there was there were one or two. There was the, also, there was the Montero Gomez offside. So he, he, this was a great stat. God, Gomez. I don't know what I'd think of him if he played for us. I think I'd be massively fucking infuriated for him, with him. He's uh, you, do, Have you heard this stat? He has more offsides than anybody in the league by a factor uh, – well, not a factor – by an absolute amount of 14. 14 more offsides <laughs> coming into outrageous. that game. Isn't it brilliant? Uh, him, and you can see him, it in that. Him and Adam would have had a real face-off. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I mean, he was, he was playing for them and he was annoying me. I, and the stupid fucking grin on his face. I mean, he seems like a nice boy and everything. I, I even said at one stage, it's a shame he didn't score that one-on-one with Czech because I wanted to see his leopard celebration. But he, he's like fucking infuriating. And I mean, this game, I mean, can you imagine being his manager? You want to fucking strangle him at halftime and then at full time. Um, but there was that one where... Uh, I think with Shelby again, uh, you know, Va- Voldemort. Um, I mean, I, what do you think of Shelby? I think he's like a really good player, but I don't like him. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there is something about him just looking at him that, you know, it it, it feels very difficult to have much empathy with him as um, <laughs> as a person, as a human being. Um, but yeah, and he, he just, he, he's got this sort of like, I don't know. He's, there's a, there's this sort of persona and character about him that uh, you just don't really like to come up against. But he seems actually, you know, he's, he's quite a, a, a tall, physical guy, and he's quite technically gifted. I mean, he he's able to dictate tempo in the middle of the park. He's he's got quite a um, a shot on him as well. So he seems, you know, he, 
by all accounts, he seems like a nifty player for Swansea he, to he's have. Quite good at those um, through balls, and he did a couple of them. But I, I guess where I was going with that was he did another really good through ball that uh, Gomez jumped on when he was offside, but Montero wasn't, and would have been in another possibly more dangerous one-on-one against Czech. But anyway, yeah, um, th- those are probably their three most. Uh, the, the other player that stood out for me on their side was Key, and Naveen's always going on, on about Key, and I've I kind of watched him before, but I did think uh, he's a really good player, uh, master of the dark arts, face of an angel. Um, you know, if we had picked him up over the summer, I could understand why you'd want him in your team. I thought he was pretty tasty, and they seem to rely on him. He drops back between the center backs, picks up the ball, passes it around looked very proficient so um and when you add all that together they had a they had a lot more of the passing than we had i went through the passing stats and but their passing we basically let them have it in their uh in their final in the in their back third as they knocked it around i mean if you look at all the passing stats they're tops but it's all their defenders knocking it to their defenders whereas our best passers are all our attackers. It's Ozil to Sanchez, Ozil to Cazorla, uh, Cazorla to Sanchez, Cazorla to Ozil, Monreal to Sanchez are our first five. So you can see what we're doing with the ball when we get it. Um, So I think that talks to your point of we were better than maybe one might have thought we were in the first half. We were kind of reasonably equal in terms of lethal chances. Um. But they felt and looked a bit better because they had more of the possession. Maybe they felt a bit more control, and there was the one-on-one with Czech. Um, so, okay, let's get into some of the juicier piece of it uh, as we go along. Um, so, let me see. I had a few notes here. So, yes, that that Joe Campbell moment, his miss, his curler. So, it, Clive made a good point on the Twitter. Clive, P-A-F-C, or something like that. Uh, Clive, our mate Clive. Um, so 16 minutes, Joel Campbell had his curler. He's got a quite a sweet little left foot, uh, which he used a few times during the game. Um, but that was a nice little moment for him and kind of sets up the Campbell discussion. So let me tell you the question I had for Elliot that I wanted to lay on him to to see if I could make his head explode. Elliot, Elliot who had the better game? Joel Campbell or Alexis Sanchez? <laughs> so, and I'm not saying the answer is Campbell, but can you? I just love to hear his his squeals taken. I mean, I actually went back and had a look at Alexis. I think he had a pretty good game. It just not much of a highlight reel, if you know what I mean. But I'd love to see how Elliot's ex- head explode trying to. Uh, come up with that because I'm not. Sh- Who do you think had the better game? Um, well, I think I think on you you really have to go with Joel Campbell. I mean, especially when you look at it contextually, um, this was a big, big opportunity for Joel. Uh, <laughs> there'd been a lot of talk with you guys on the previous pod of um, of the Coquelin, uh references, and it's easy to understand why it's it's taken six injuries for Joel to get in the starting lineup. Yeah, and Tim, um, Tim, pr- Tim Stillman went pretty heavily on the, you know, when you when uh, to your point, when you give a guy like a Coquelin or maybe like a Campbell a run in the team, you may find out that the guy can really perform given a chance. He'll come on, he'll start to play, he'll start to develop, and uh, you know, it, it wasn't all sweetness and light with Joel Campbell, um, but you could see. The beginnings, you know, that could be his best game he ever plays for us. But if he comes on from there, he could be quite a useful, useful player. You know, there's there's a couple of things to remember with Joel. Um, first of all, I think it's easy to forget he's only just turned 23. Um, so he's slightly less than a year older than Oxley chamberlain a player who's had now a lot of Premier League experience, uh, a lot of time with this team, who we still consider to, you know, I, he seems far more talented than, than Joel um, off the bat, just from, you know, looking at what he he possesses. But we still re- look to him as a player that we still expect plenty more sort of upside, assuming he can stay fit, right? 
yeah. uh, we give him a, lo- a lot more leeway for performances, should I say. Um, you know, Joel's also, he's a player that's had to bounce around a lot of, you know, several different clubs throughout Europe. Um, and he's come into this team now with very, you know, he's had a couple of sort of Carling Cup games and, um, but really like this is, you know, this is his first start in the league. He's, we've always said you bring in any new player, however good, um, and you always give them like a, a bit of a respite early on saying like, look, they need time to adapt to the league, need time to adapt to their teammates. Sure. Okay. Joel mentally you would think he's, he's fairly settled now, but for him, like a lot of his career has been building, had been building up to this moment. So I'm sure he was putting a lot of pressure on himself. He, he probably would have felt yeah, he's uh, been under huge pressure, which makes it more impressive. Indeed. And, you know, like I said, it's taken six, you know, six players really ahead of him for this. Right. You know, I've, I think Rosicki probably if he was fit, would probably have started ahead of Joel, frankly. He's probably um, been knackering them one by one like an Agatha Christie novel to get his place in the team. And you can't. <laughs> and you know what? You can't begrudge him. The fucker is the patience of uh, is it patience of Job? I don't know. Anyway, the patience of patience of somebody biblical. So, right. um, um I unfortunately don't know the uh, the reference, but we'll, we'll go with that. The patience of a saint, shall we say. Yeah, all right. um, but um, anyway, I think... And he's obviously been brought in because at some point, whether he, when he was younger, there, there's clearly certain qualities about him that uh, the scouting team, uh, which would have been passed off by us, and there, there's something about him that, some, that people clearly um, felt had some potential. So I think you've got to... A, you've got to give him... you know. You've got to give him these few games and see how he settles in. The one thing that I do like is over the last couple of games, or um, even with Alex, is we've that that position now, especially because people originally were a little un- uneasy about Aaron playing the right wing, but I think we're now quickly seeing um, how much he brings to to that position or to the team as a whole when he plays. Is that he kind of had a bit of a. Even if Alex was fit, you still had a little bit of a that, that position was like, well, you know, maybe it's going to take some time for him to hit the form that we need him to. So maybe he's going to need to be carried by the team a little bit. You know, there, there were still question marks over whether his performances would be up to it, and yep, and yet the team had still been able to perform. So you felt like if he had the work ethic and he was able to do the basics well, and at a certain point he didn't need to set the world alight for him to be to provide a positive benefit for the team moving yeah, forward. Yeah, I agree with that. That's kind of how I felt. Uh, he was quite impressive in terms of being tracky-backy, putting in tackles, work ethic. Uh, kind of joked, I think, early in the game that he always he has a way of always looking shattered, doesn't he? He does, actually, yes. <laughs> or maybe, like, after about 10 minutes, he looks like... He, he kind of looks like... Remember the Costa Rica World Cup where he really was shattered? I think they'd... They'd let him do everything up front for one of those games, and he was like, they were just hitting long balls to him, and he was looking knackered. I think that's actually just how he looks. He probably wasn't knackered at all. So uh, (laughs) he had that nice curler on 16 minutes, which uh, actually didn't look that close to you. You saw the replay, and you you saw it was just about a foot off, or so at least the angles I saw. Then around 22 minutes, he had that mazy run. um, Yep. And Nearly put in Bellerin. Toe poked it to Bellerin, who got tackled, unfortunately. And he just kind of began to come into the game then. He, he, there were certainly a couple of moments where he, he gave away the ball where he didn't need to, but he then ran his socks all over the pitch, tracking the ball down kind of Alexis style. Um, so, you know, like I say, it would have been fun to have Elliot on. I think Elliot said something pretty close to, if he didn't say he should never wear the shirt, I think he said... This is a player who should never play for Arsenal, which just, you know, we all have th- those players. It just goes to show you just don't know in the end. That's that's why other pay- people get paid the big bucks. I mean, I, I mu- must say I wasn't holding out too much hope for him. He certainly way overperformed me. But, I mean, it's just another reminder that you don't fucking know. And we, we don't see most of it because it's uh, somebody like Campbell. Pretty much all of it happens in training. But the same was true of... Park Chu Young, and he never saw the light of day, day. So you never know whether you're dealing with a Campbell or a Park Chu Young till yesterday. And you know maybe yesterday was a one-off, but on the day, you certainly have to scratch your head when you ask yourself the question: Who played better, Alexis Sanchez or Joel Campbell? I don't think we were expecting to 
have that conundrum. And it, it, like I say, I don't think Sanchez played badly at all. I, he just didn't have one of his highlight reel days. In fact, um, was it that? that? So the other point I was going to make on the, uh, the uh, Joel Campbell uh, curler on 16 minutes was the, the Giroud curler had something else in common. Um, Coquelin uh, quickly kind of digging the ball forward between the lines. Uh, in this case, he flicked it to Giroud, who knocked it to Campbell, who took it first time. In the other case, he flicked it to Alexis, who put that beautiful ball through to Giroud, who um, mm-hmm. curled it. And so uh, I'm going to ruin the questions, cause, uh, question, but I've kind of given it away. Which player on our team had 42 passes with 100% passing accuracy? James. Would it be Cockerland? And I give you mm. that. I I hand you that one because the last time I completely screwed you by asking you for passing combinations <laughs> when I have no idea what. The, so yeah, he w- had a hundred percent passing, and I kind of think to myself, well, you know, the, him and Santi were finding each other all the time, so those are reasonably soft passes, but still a hundred percent. And some of his passing was pretty progressive. There were quite a few of those. The other thing I, that impressed me with Cockland, because again, it wasn't really a high right, high real, uh, sorry, highlight real day for him, of you know brilliant tackles and Superman shit, uh, was really kind of just how solid he was generally, just part of the passing scheme and the defending scheme. I kind of liked that performance. And um, plus, there were a couple of, uh, and I'm sure you'll remember these. He had a couple of takes where he was, he did this twice, where the ball was a little bit behind him, and he kind of scooped around in front in the one movement, and then laid off a pass. Really kind of elegant Tecker stuff, and again, pretty low key. He was just a cog in the wheel. So I kind of liked his game yesterday. But anyway, hundred percent passing. Um, you kind of can't beat that away away from home as well. Yeah. Um, and in his position is mightily impressive and. Yeah, I mean, I think you covered everything with Cochran, but I had, and over the this season, really, I've just noticed a, a genuine progression in his comfort of distributing the ball forward and his willingness to, uh, his technical ability, his close control of, of shimmying past a player and, and then sort of, you know, curling it around a couple of players in a tight space. And, um, yeah, I think his, you can see his confidence has grown dramatically from having having built it through his defensive and, and prowess and his solidarity um, as a as a distinct defensive midfielder. And he's now able to actually sometimes interchange with Cazorla as being the player that, that takes the ball a little further forward when, when it happens to be in, in his part of the field. And uh, I think that's really um, assisted in progressing the team where there was a period, I think, for large parts of last season where you could sense the players were making more of an effort to get it immediately to Cazorla or to, to Urza weren't quite as comfortable using Coquelin except when they needed to. Yeah, or, um, you, or you'd see the Ozos or the Ramses or whatever dropping deep because, oh my God, otherwise the, the centre-backs will have to pass to Coquelin. And that's yes. all flip-flop now. You'll see, as you said, Cazorla being deeper passing forward to Coquelin, which I guess we've always seen as kind of the conventional plan, but the other way around. And there's no great fucking panic to say, oh, hang on a second. <laughs> you know, oh, give, give it to Casorley, then you you move forward. You know, now now he's just part of the passing scheme and comfortable with it. And, you know, I've kind of said this a few times, Casorley now uses him to get out of trouble. And conversely, there's that, there is the synergy going in place. So it's kind of nice to see, but we won't, uh, we won't belabor the point. Not that I'd ever do that. So anyway, uh, yeah, where were we? So, right. So on 21 minutes, Gomez is through, one-on-one, beats the offside trap. God forbid. He must have been as much. That's that's why he fluffed it with Jack. He was like, holy fuck, where's the the guy with the flag? flag? (laughs) Uncharted territory. So uh, anyway, let me tell you why I love Peter Jack. And it's not because he saved that, because he didn't. It's because he he didn't fuck it all up for us. He let it go. He let the guy fuck up. He let the guy not score. And, and, and the thing, uh, you know, I, I like Chesney. In fact, I love Chesney. I think he's a highly talented player. But I think the difference between a Czech and some of those other younger, rasher goalkeepers is Czech would or Chesney would have come out to try and save the game and save the day. 
and potentially lose the game. Whereas Czech did what he could and then didn't fuck it up. He let Gomis go past him. He let Gomis get caught. So of of the whole game, that was my favorite moment with Czech, and it's probably the main reason I love Czech. It's because he doesn't go and fucking lose you the game by trying to win it for you. Anyway, that was my take on the, the, the Gomis moment. And obviously there's the heroics from Bellerin. Uh, I was quite impressed that he caught up to the play because he had to stop actually at one point to put on his cape and also to switch his underpants to the outside. And yet he still got back in time to nick the ball off Gomis. But that boy did his his heroics. You could see him as uh, actually Robin, ba- you know, Batman's Robin with the little mask. I think Bellerin would be actually perfect in that scenario. So um, anyway... We had the Gomis through on goal. What did you make of that little uh, episode? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything regarding Petacek. It was the exactly what you want from a top class, experienced keeper. He made the the player think, uh, which you know, in that scenario, you'd almost you know, it's the typical cliche of suggesting the striker had too much time to to think about what he needed to do. Yeah, let him shoot um, himself. Held exactly. Held his. Czech held his position firm, so tall, um, and I mean, you know, I think Robin Pat, um, perfectly, you know, the uh, Batman and Robin, non, you know, dare not mention uh, the other Robin, but uh, Bellerin very yeah. much fits the bill. You can I think. see him with the little mask, can't you? Oh, absolutely! I think he'd he'd rock it, you know, with the uh, um, with the <laughs> with, with the fresh cut, the uh, the tattoo. I think the mask would uh, would just add to the attire. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't even really notice the run until, mm. uh, you know, I saw the, the tackle where you're so fixated on, on like, fucking hell, <laughs> look at all this space, what's going on here? But it's the motorcycle caught off at the halfway line all over again. Yeah. And, uh, and then, so, you know, like you see him, you see Czech sort of force Gomez to stumble and then a, a tackle comes from Bellerin. You're like, oh, f- you know, f- what, what on earth happened here? And you look back at it and I mean, the engine he's got on him, it's just outrageous. But, uh, you know, Czech was the major um, savior in, in, that, in that part. I think, the, you know, Mertzsecker did get caught out, there's no doubt, but I'm not really, it was a moment in the game where we had like, it seemed about seven or eight players pressing really high. I mean, we had the ball in and around their penalty area, and Buckland both pressed really high. Um, our fullbacks were committed, and I mean, it was literally just you know Bellerin tracking back and just Koscielny and Mertesacker, and we were really caught flat-footed there. Um, I'm not sure why we were as aggressive as we were trying to get the ball back. I appreciate. Um, you know, you want to put them under pressure immediately and try and ensure that we 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 get the ball back as quickly as possible. But I'd, I've I felt very strange about Co- with Cazorla being so far forward for Cochrane to also press. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's how part of that come out. I don't actually really blame Mertzaker so so much for that uh, chance because I felt like the team really exposed uh, the one sort of major weakness of of the lack of pace in in that one position because otherwise we're we're well well equipped in that regard so i did feel quite bad for per um in that one moment because you know the natural sort of inclination was to be like ah where's gabriel um but yeah aside you know so that that was my take on that chance and fortunately you know there were a couple of other moments as you'd mentioned where we were close-ish but that's the game you play, you know, and you, the great thing is obviously Mertesacker and Koscielny and uh, that back line as a whole of such great synergy is um, the word we all like to use. Um, and so their ability to play offside traps, and it's it's always a bit of a risky game, but we seem, you know, it's clearly part of the plan and part of the tactics, and uh, it worked pretty well for the most part, and I don't even think that Gomez chance had anything to do with us us trying to play too high a line. I think we're just far too aggressive trying to win the ball back, and that was the, the major issue really there. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, Mertesacker and Koscielny were out of step right then. I mean, Mertesacker charged forward to catch him offside, and Koscielny was like a half a step off and uh, and got caught. But it happens. But that's well, the, the thing is, Mertesacker pushed, yeah. Mertesacker pushed further ahead of the half. I think Mertesacker saw we were just in total shit. You know, it was just the two of them, and they they had runners coming from Swansea, and so 
he said, well, you know, I've got no pace. So I'm just going to have to get ahead of the man and just hope that the pass isn't good enough and I can intercept it. I yeah. don't even think he was looking for the offer because he, he moved from the halfway line to ahead of the halfway line. He did, yeah. Uh, and so I, I don't think there was ever going to be any sort of potential offside trap being played. Yeah. Uh, it was just a sort of, uh, hopefully my daddy, my daddy Longlace can, can get a hold of this ball because otherwise, yeah. well, we're a bit screwed. I'm agreeing, but you're wrong. No, you're probably right. Um, so then on 32 minutes, there was the uh, the Gulpy Sigurdsson uh, free kick per Mertesacker penalty shout. Here's my short take on it. Fuck them. They were rotationally fouling us all over the field. Fuck you. You're not getting a penalty. It would have hit Giroud anyway, so fuck off. That's my take on it. <laughs> I'll take it. All right. So... Um, but what I did want to talk, we talked about Bellerin and the cape and the underpants. Um, the, so he's had a couple of interesting battles now. Uh, I really think we should thank both Douglas Costa and uh, is it Jefferson Montero named after President Jefferson, who also coincidentally played uh, left wing for Swansea. Little known fact. So anyway, he had a nice uh, battle against Costa, which made him a better man by the second half. And by the second half of this, they took off Montero. Maybe not because he had a terrible game, because he didn't. He actually did very well. And he, he's probably their most dangerous player. And he certainly skinned Bellerin a couple of times. But Bellerin as well, I think by and large, did very well against him. And it's very nice of him to keep educating our uh, fullback to be the best fullback in the business. So what was your take on the Montero-Bellerin battle? Yeah, it was it was an interesting interesting one because both speed merchants, uh, Montero is always able to, you know, over the course of ninety minutes, he's he's the type of player that you know, the more traditional winger that he's he's going to find moments where he uh, he creates that space for himself and crosses. And I think when you have Joel Campbell instead of a Ramsey, you're probably going to find yourself a little more exposed at times as. As much work ethic as he put in, as much as he tracked back, I think a player like Joel probably lose it a little more often than Aaron does. Um, his positional sense, you know, I didn't watch it too closely, but I got the sense that he's not quite as as as, as smart positionally, which is you know, totally natural. I mean, um, given the amount he's played, especially with this team, and also the type of you know winger he is. Um, so I think Bellerin, you know, in that sense, was going to have even a little more to do. Um, than he would have had someone like Aaron play, but I thought he was, I thought he was absolutely excellent. There were a couple of times he um, he got beaten on the take on it, um, but you know there were there were no real I felt sort of glaring moments in um, coming from from that side of the field. And I mean I thought Bellerin's play as a whole was was excellent. I mean he was for me the uh, the performance I loved the most. I mean mm-hmm. yes you had the uh, uh, the mask and, and underpants moment, as you refer to it as, but then you had the the steel balls moment of, yeah. uh, even though it was called offside, what an incredible goal line clearance that was, and then to get an almighty thwack into the post. I mean, he went full pelt into that thing. Bloody to, hell, that, to um, choose to cushion your fall using your own testicles, I mean, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. Absolutely. Uh, and he's, I mean, he is an absolute star, Bellerin, isn't he? I mean, yeah, he, is he is hopefully a player that, you know, if he can, if we can keep him for a long time, is going to be a top, top player um, in the game. And we've talked about it. Even when he get makes mistake, his his recovery just it allows him a second bite at the cherry often. Yeah. And you see how useful it is in in those desperate moments. And so good, and Gomez and so comfortable through. with the ball at his feet. I mean, he's. He's, he's so good going forward too. Yeah, uh, yeah. world class written all over him. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you know that for me does the first half. I think I think we, unless you've got any other juicy moments you really want to get stuck into, so we go off to go off for halftime. Have a nice cup of tea, some oranges. We're supposed to come out all charged up, and I'm sure we did, as every team does. But so the the second half kicks off, and very shortly afterwards, we get that first goal. So, as you pick through the tea leaves, what did you see? What stands out for you in that goal? Um, what stands out is is exactly what Giroud brings to this side. Is 
Um, I think we've really improved at set pieces over, uh, recently. Massively. Some, you know, people give us, we've always been associated with being poor at set pieces. I don't think we were actually that. There was a time last year, at least for like the first half of the season, where I think statistically speaking, we were, we were up there as like the best, um, you know, best either attacking or defending and up there for, for the other. I mean, I think we, we'd improved a lot. I think that weakened, um, at some point, but I think for the most part, I set pieces were fairly strong last year. Um, as much as the general sort of consensus tends to be, uh, um, the opposite to then. And this season it's been really strong. I think defensively we've, apart from, you know, you had the West Ham, but offensively now it looks like a real, a real threat. We've seen Koscielny score a couple of goals now, um, with Giroud starting, it's always a, a possibility. And when you have the delivery coming in from the right foot of Cazorla or the left from Ozil, um, it really gives you an opportunity. And the movement from Giroud is absolutely exquisite, actually, for that goal. You, it's mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it was talked a lot about by the uh, the commentators, and naturally so, but it's you don't really notice it so much. He uses Mertesacker as a shield initially. And he charges into the space, and then he he takes that quick step back, uh, ever so slight, to just get that yard of space. And he times it so perfectly, and the delivery is spot on. And you know it's a fantastic header. So it's it's an excellent goal, and that's that's exactly what Giroud can bring to that you know, from a goal scoring point of view. I mean, you you talk about the bread and butter of of Walcott on on the count of being thread through with his pace. I mean that right there is especially in tricky games where, as you had said, it was even the second half. It was still pretty fifty-fifty up until that point, and that really made the difference for us. Um, and that's how we were able to sort of get a stranglehold on the game. Yeah. So you know, excellent finish, excellent delivery, um, and so great to see that type of goal as well. I mean, it, there just seems to be a lot more to our armory now. We seem to be able to hurt teams in very different ways, and that that was pretty exemplary of that. Yeah. So I, to that point, I have this tweet from uh, Rod Rocket Gunner, or Rocket Gunner, uh, who says, "When you guys do the pod, I hope you talk about Giroud's slingshot off the BFG for his goal." So, and so I want to talk about the physics about this, kind of like pop psychology, pop physics. I mean, one of the challenges for attackers is these uh, defenders, these centre backs, these lugs wrapping their arms around them, not necessarily holding their sh- their shirts but like Greco-Roman wrestling them. And even if the attacker gets away from them, it's kind of he's struggling to build any separation or get any speed. And the beauty of the fucking slingshot, grabbing that guy's jersey and flinging your own teammate is obviously not, it's not a foul, so that's good. But the two of you end up springing in opposite direction using your kind of equal and opposite forces and equal and opposite momentum. So you get this pop that creates a separation. And to your point on set pieces, I think we're terrible at set pieces apart from when we're great at set pieces. And, <laughs> and we, but it, there is truth to this. I don't think we're generally just like average. Uh, anytime I've looked at, at stats in the past on it, there have been periods where we really were the worst in the league for quite a while and maybe even a full season. And then the next season, you find out that we're actually kind of one of the best, you know. And it tends to be both ends of the field. We're both good at defending and attacking them, as we have been lately, um, or we're terrible. And I think our first few games, actually, including, you know, if you lump in defending crosses with defending set pieces, because there's a certain amount of that that goes hand in hand. When you have your shit together, you have your shit together. And right now we're in a phase. I think it's very interesting as well because Arsene talked about the importance of set pieces. I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said one of the pieces you need to win the league is scoring off set pieces. And he said that probably off the Everton game where I think we scored off a set piece. But where I was going with this is I saw us being much more aggressive against Everton. There was a period, there was a moment with Gabriel, I think it was Giro, um, where they were pushing and shoving in the box off each other. They were pushing and shoving each other. It wasn't slingshot. It was just kind of like throwing each other around again to create separation. So to me, there's been a an absolute sea change in mentality on set pieces that we're going to fuck things up in the box and we're going to create separation and we're going to do shit. I don't know where they get pulling their ideas from, but you can abs- it's unmistakable on that move and we saw it, I think there's one or two other set pieces, sorry, one or two other corners 
when they where they absolutely slingshot and throw each other around and stuff. And it makes sense because you can't touch the other guy. But one way to give somebody a jump start is to shove your own players. So that was kind of interesting. And the space Giroud has. And the other thing it does is the guy is energized. I mean, you see not only did Giroud move into space, but he really fucking thought that ball was coming into him. Well, and that's probably because he knew Ozil was taking it. What an absolute peach of an outswinger from Ozil. So, uh, rather a beautiful goal and certainly shows... Uh, I mean, it, the first half was, you could argue, a little bit of a testament to why you like Theo on the field. But the second half was a testament to why you want Giro on the field. I thought he did a really good job overall. Um, so that was the first goal. Uh, second goal, penalty or no penalty? I mean, in brief, it's it's one of those that you expect to be given, but I didn't actually see anything wrong with. Um, yeah. Koscielny holds his ground. Giroud goes up for the challenge, and he, he makes it. Um, he hits more Koscielny than the goal, goalkeeper. He yeah, really, I mean, there's, there's an angle from, yeah, there's an angle from behind the goal where you can see he doesn't really actually touch the goalkeeper. Yeah, Fabrianski's trajectory, if you watch it, isn't changed. Yeah, there's no yeah. reason why he shouldn't catch that ball. <laughs> We've seen it plenty of times with Fabianski. So, yeah. Um, yeah, he's impeded slightly, but not in not in an unfair way. But then again, you know, if 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 that had happened to us, I'd, I'd be arguing. Well, you know, most referees give that. So I think yeah. we're so I think Swan, we're a little lucky for sure. But uh, I, on the face of it, I don't think there's any issue with it. So. The one thing I would say in defense of the ref for consistency is it's one of the few cases in which really nothing was done to the goalkeeper. I mean, yes, Koscielny backs right up to him, but the last piece of it is the goalkeeper coming over him. And there's nothing very cynical about what Koscielny does. So I do think it's one of the 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 cleanest, but I, I agree. I still thought it would be given against us. And so it seemed like the two player, our two players did too. Tim Stillman made a really good point about us crowding uh, Fabianski because we know him. And I saw a couple of shots um, of maybe it was other set pieces, corners. And there was literally, we had like six or seven people standing practically huddled around Fabianski. So we obviously, I don't think that was the best example of the goal, but we certainly had, it was like we had Fabianski uh, dialed into our... uh, our plans there and, and maybe there's a part of that that just got in his head a little bit by that stage but uh yes so that was two goals and then we really started to play a little bit of football um so uh thoughts on the third goal and it's certainly again another trend not only do we score and then win when we score we start banging in a few goals we go on a little run and then we kind of calm it down a little bit yeah, I thought the interplay between Sanchez and, and Urza was excellent. Mm-hmm. In fact, for me, Urza was just an absolute joy to watch throughout the match. Yeah, um, he was—I mean, he was incredible. And that interplay—I mean, he had taken the ball. Pre- he was one that had taken the ball. Um, I'm not sure if there was a, if there was a one-two with 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 Cochlan, whoever it was, before he then interchanged with Sanchez. He then made the driving run, and I mean his calm composure his ability to look up see Joel Campbell right at the back post who's actually close to the the left back but the left back is, is naturally his, ten, his tendency is to charge in centrally to def, to protect the goal um and he you know fires it in through the crowd of players very intentionally uh coming out to Campbell in a very solid finish I mean he you know it's what you do expect him to to score he's got a lot of time he's quite close to goal um, he takes a nice first touch, and you know the one thing you would say is there's a lot of bodies ahead of him, um, mm-hmm. but a very calm, composed finish. You know the look of a player that um, that you know isn't too scared in front of goal. And actually, that was one of the things I liked about his performance was his willingness to you know as time he 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 made a little bit of space for himself, fired um, at the goalie. There was a shot you had talked about, and then also late on he. F- um, on a counter, he had a lot of uh, runners around him, um, but he had the, you know, having scored as well, he had the kind of the confidence, the self-assuredness uh, to want to take it on himself, and he, he hit the ball pretty sweetly. So he's got he's got a decent strike, and you know, coming in from that right where he'd scored, it means we have two introverted wingers, and when they swap, they become two more traditional esque. They they don't play like it, but you know they 
they, they have the strong foot going um, in the same way, uh, you know, leading to the outside of the field. Yeah. Um, so it, it creates, you know, two sort of diverse um, challenges for um, the, the opposing defender once they interchange, etc. So yeah. it, that was quite cool to see. It, and it, his curling left foot is is could be quite a dilemma for uh, the defenses he faces. So I thought that was interesting. Terrible goal celebration, fishing around in his shorts to get that uh, sucky baby sucky thing. Um, as one Walid said on Twitter, it took him a while, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. As one Walid says, he says, "What? What was he fishing out of his pants? I thought he was trying to take out his todger so that he could have a wank while he watched himself scoring on the big screen." <laughs> which I think, <laughs> which I think, is very coarse and vulgar, and you ought to be ashamed of yourself, one Walid. Now, don't do it again. Calling you out on Twitter. So anyway, but I'll tell you my favorite moment of Campbell was none of that. It was the moment late, later on in the game when he was on the left wing and he put in a curler cross for Giroud. Remember that? I and do, yes. The whip the, the on it. Just it was yeah. almost perfect. I think maybe if Great Giroud was a little bit more used to him. I think Giroud did really well. He looked pretty sparky and he looked pretty quick on that move. But he might even have been like that foot quicker had he been a little bit more used to what Campbell can do. Because... It, that was, I think, it was, was fantastic. Oh yeah, the whip. That those lefties. It's kind of like lefties always have that extra bit of whip or spin for some reason. But, Indeed, uh, yeah. I mean, the shape of that ball was just was just perfect. It was just he's right it right it right in the mixer, as they uh, they like to say. Ooh. So it was right way of a centre forward like Giroud would like it to be. So um, uh, yeah. I mean, there were there were definitely positive signs coming out of camp, but it was. It, I I had mentioned before the game. I think it's actually. I don't really know the qualities of of Campbell all that well, but for someone who was twenty one at the time of the World Cup or just turning twenty two, to be starting, even you know it is Costa Rica. They made the the knockout stages. I think there are signs. He's clearly got experience at the top level in that regard, and he's he's played for some decent teams, and he's he's got a decent number of stars. So there's, there's something about him, and I think for us to have a player like that at seventh choice, I know a lot of people were. You know, suggesting you know what's the point of keeping him? Why why are we keeping him? And I, we've, he's there for the emergency, and we're we're in emer- we're, we're in emergency mode at the moment. And frankly, I think for that, you know, I can't you can't really ask for that much of a better um, type of player. Someone who's still quite young, who's de- you know desperately hoping to get a chance for a club like Arsenal, so is willing to sort of um, bide his time. And and now it's come, so hopefully. He continues to take it in a, in a similar way to the way that he uh, he started now. So that's uh, so very promising to see. Yeah, I mean, certainly if he builds on that, we're in good shape. I mean, you never know what the future holds, but it was very, very promising, very encouraging. But um, aye, aye. It, I thought it was pretty funny. We started then stroking the ball around, looking fairly confident, confident, and then we got greedy. Um, there were a couple of times Giroud and I think Sanchez at one stage um, – were like got frustrated with Ozil because he'd like try and get the ball through to them, or maybe it was a, uh, a it got intercepted and be getting all frustrated with Ozil. And I remember thinking, you know what, you ungrateful fucks, that's Ozil there, pal. You know, Ozil should cut these guys off for forty five minutes from his passes till they come back begging. The ungrateful bastards. I got somebody put out a tweet uh, today which I thought was uh, right on the money, asking. Um, if, yeah, do, it was uh, the Captone spelt with a K. Do you think Ozil is in player of the year form right now or is he too subtle for anyone to consider it? What do you think, James? <laughs> Listen, I, I I think he's right up there right now for sure. Um, he's just superb yeah, at the moment. He is, I, I don't think you can even... Yeah, even even those generally blind to his uh, exquisite play can can be blind to this kind of performance at the moment. I mean, his there was I think there was a great little gif of of him using his body strength. There was a looping board. He 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 shrugged a defender out of the way. You know, controlled it elegantly as he does, and that's something we've seen from his game. Now, you if those that are looking to um, for that sort of an aggressive aspect, and you know, which may be a, a little more um, plain to the um, to the observing eye. Um, but yeah, I mean, his his touch is 
the way he controls the ball in those uh, in in the final third of the pitch, and the, I mean, you know, the way he creates spaces for his teammates and his his ability on the ball, his his delivery, the consistency of his delivery, his uh, you know, as I think Tim had talked about in re- in reference to the Gingers for Limpar comment on a part of you know one of few people that seems to actually pick out a man for a cross rather than just yeah. sending it into an area. Um, pass, no and, cross, yeah. Indeed, and you know his cognizance and and understanding when it comes to assisting players, which is you know which is obvious when when you look when you talk about us or when you um, look at his stats, and that there's a reason for it because he is just absolutely excellent at it. And you know he had, he had a decent effort the, right at the end of the game um, where he nearly caught Fabianski off guard. But he he's really he's really now grown into a player that feels like he is the man in the team and. Uh, you know, he kind of flips back and forward between who thinks they're the man of the team between him and Sanchez. But um, he's really grown in stature as you, this season off the back of a really uh, good end to last. And it's looking very promising there. So hopefully, fingers crossed that he'll stay fit. And you get the sense he's really enjoying it. And he, he kind of he feels he's found himself in the Premier League. Like, he knows he's kind of cracked it. That... Uh, that he's very, very comfortable now, where in previous seasons where he was getting a bit of shit maybe, um, and maybe some of it was fair and most of it wasn't, but I wasn't always convinced he was convinced and that he was enjoying it. Now, you know, he looks like a guy who knows what he's doing, why he's doing it, and very comfortable in his own skin. In fact, I'd argue with... Arson occasionally when he says uh, he needs to score more goals, which I'm all for myself. But um, really, I don't mind if he diverts all that blood flow in his brain to uh, assisting and making chances for other people. I'm not really too fussed. He's just really, really good at it. And if he can always find somebody in a better spot than him, I'm not going to quibble with him. So anyway, that was Swansea. Um, Bit of a bogeyman team for us. Uh, To me, that was a really big game. Uh, and when you look at the October we had, when you look at who we beat, um, and really our run over the last 10 games or so, um, it's, uh, I must say I'm a little bit astounded how well we're doing and how well we're mm-hmm. playing. And it seems like we've won, not that we need them or want them, but it is interesting when a couple of the pundits start coming on board. Gary Lineker yesterday, Miguel Delaney wrote a piece about title credentials, etc., etc. It's starting to feel like um, it's going to be a two-horse race and a really exciting challenge, as kind of oh maybe, yeah maybe we started talking about it earlier in this season, but it really looks like it's on, doesn't it? Oh, it really does. And contextually, I mean, I think this is a big one. There are a lot of fears, and I think mm. that was what almost altered the perception of the first half a little bit as well, because of being forced to playing Joel. It's like well, injury crisis has struck. And here we go now. Here's when when Arsenal begin to stumble, as we always do. We're playing a bogey team, and uh, the injuries have kicked in. Um, so understandably, there was a lot of um, angst prior to the game. And again, but it was you know it's still the ten same players, the ten key men um, of of the eleven really that were on the field. So you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but really we didn't have as much to worry about as we thought we we perhaps did um and it's looking that core is looking excellent at the moment it really looks like a team that's that's set up for for the long distance i've I've alluded to the just the ability to adapt to to so many different game types now and swansea you know one thing although they've been in bad patch form they didn't have any injuries going into that game um, which can always, you know, throw things one way or the other, especially given where we um, were with regards to the right position, um, and you know, especially from the options on the bench, it did look like if we were going to have one of those tricky games, that it would be a particularly difficult one for us to mm-hmm. um, to get back out of. So, very promising sides. Definitely good to get a game like that out of the way because I do think with you know Monk and, and the, the squad that they have. That, There'll probably be a period in the season where they pick up form again, and um, so fantastic victory, and one will take a lot of confidence out of, especially coming up with a three-nil victory. I mean, it um, it was a little flattering, perhaps, but still, I mean, you, not many teams go to Swansea and win three-nil. Um, so excellent. 
No, I think that's right. So from there on, uh, we've got Bayern on Wednesday and we've got Spurs on Sunday. Um, Selection-wise, there's not a lot of selecting to do, is there? Team pretty much picks itself no. at this point. <laughs> there's not a lot of subbing to do either. No. Guess, uh... <laughs> Which two of so, three full-backs yeah, the, will I this send team on? Is gonna be, you just got to hope this 11 gets through this week because uh, <laughs> they're going to be playing a lot of minutes against Munich and Spurs. And so... Um, uh, you know, and then it's the the two games within the international break. So hopefully they all pick up Mertek or smallpox just after the the Tottenham game and and recover just in time for the the game post international break. So, um, yeah. but we'll you know that's another hurdle that we'll come to when we it come is. to. Well, hopefully after the international break, as you say, we'll uh, we'll get a few a few of the boys back. One or two would be nice. One or two would go a long way. So, uh, but it's nice for our opponents, Pep and uh, and Pochettino, to to know who the eleven they're going to face is, so they can plan and and uh, come up with all sorts of scenarios to play against us. But I guess on our side, it's nice that we know what we need to do, and we just need to execute and stay fit. God help us. So anyway, with that, indeed, uh, let's wrap it up. Appreciate uh, all your input and insights, James. Yeah, great to be on as always. And it's a wrap. Bring on those Bayern bastards and up the arsenal.